0: If you'd like to follow along with me as we read, we'll be at the end of Exodus chapter 4, and then we're going to read all of chapter 5. We're going to start at Exodus 4:29, and then we'll read all the way through the end of chapter 5. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. And you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten. But the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron, Waiting to meet them and they said may the Lord look on you and judge you You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us Moses returned to the Lord and said why Lord have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name He has brought trouble on this people And you have not rescued your people at all. Amen.
1: Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say. Well thank you for reading Andy. And uh, I just want to say. Since I got back from sabbatical. It is such a blessing to be in a church that serves and loves the Lord so much. This week. So many different people gave so many hours uh, to decorate the church and our twists and turns as we looked at the life of Peter and how he experienced Jesus. And not only that, we, uh, you know Mike and Gene and the team leading the place of Ben as he's on vacation and, and the tech team that comes out every week, we are truly blessed as a church. So if you see someone, say thank you. Now, we're picking up our story of Exodus where we left off last week and if you remember, uh, after running out of excuses, Moses finally obeyed God and went to Pharaoh. And he had to be thinking, this is going to go good. God told me to do this. But it, as he just read, it couldn't have gone any worse. Instead of being set free, uh, the Israelites' workload increased. The slave drivers were beating them for not meeting their quota. So it makes sense that the Israelites would immediately complain to Moses. And how would you feel if you were Moses? Imagine, God told you to go do this, and you said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And as soon as you do it, it seems like everything gets worse. And now, all the Israelites are mad at you, and they come and blame you. And so then you turn to the one who called you. And Moses said, why, Lord? Why have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? Lord, why are you allowing these circumstances in my life? Maybe you've been following the Lord and you were expecting things to get better. Maybe you shared your faith with a family member, only to have that lead to relational strain that didn't exist before it. Maybe you welcomed someone into your home hoping to provide for them and found instead heartbreak and rejection. Maybe at your job you decided to stand on your moral convictions and because you did that, you lost out on a promotion or maybe were even fired. Maybe as a single person you said, I have these high standards for who I want to date and I'm not going to compromise on them. And you find it hard to find someone that has those same standards and you ask the Lord, why am I still single? See, when we serve the Lord, it doesn't mean that life will be easy. I'm so thankful for the Pennington's going to Thailand. They're choosing to do something that's not going to be easy, but they're choosing to be obedient. Sometimes following the Lord means trouble will follow us. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises it. We will have trouble. But does anyone know the second part of that verse? But in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, in the midst of our trouble, Jesus is there with us. And I don't know about you, but when I face trouble, I tend to find myself looking down. I focus on the problem. Maybe I even obsess about it. I try to find ways to fix it. I I worry about it. I don't let it go. And I don't look up. In Colossians, we talked about this idea of setting our minds and our hearts on things above, not on earthly things. On fixing our eyes on Jesus. So what does, it, what does it look like to even do that, to give our troubles to God? Because troubles have a tendency to focus our attention down, to set our minds just on the struggle, to lose sight of who Jesus is and what he's done. So today I want you to ask two big questions. First, where do you turn when life is hard? Where do you turn? when life is hard? The second question is maybe if you shift it, where can you turn when life is hard? To answer those two big questions, we're going to look today at God's response to Moses. As Ryan shared, the, the Old Testament is full of treasures to help us see how we're called to respond, to see who God is and how big He is. In fact, Exodus, it has this theme of salvation that we will see lived out throughout the whole New Testament. So let's pray and ask God that He would speak through His Word. dear Dearly Father, Lord, You are so good and so gracious. <laughs> that song we just Sung, so often our sins are so great, and yet your mercy is more. God, your mercy and your strength is big enough for our questions, for our doubts, for our anger and frustration. Lord, as Moses poured out his frustration before you, you simply reminded him of who you are and your promises. Lord, maybe today there are some in this room that just need that reminder that you were faithful then, and you're faithful now, and you're here with them. May your words speak into into those situations. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's just read that last couple verses there of chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. What is Moses doing here? Ultimately, he's questioning God. He's questioning the goodness of God. Why did you bring trouble on this people? He's questioning the purpose of God. Is this why you sent me to accomplish this, for this to happen? He's questioning the plan of God. Why did you bring trouble on this people? And there's a sense where I feel like God should respond and be like, you little ant, who are you to question me? And yet God doesn't do that. In fact, God doesn't even answer any of Moses' questions. He just points him back to the promise. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God doesn't confront Moses and his objections. In fact, I think when we're in the midst of that, God is okay with us just expressing how we really feel. The Psalms are full of lament. In Psalm 142, David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my what? Complaint. Before him I tell my trouble." And David did that all throughout the Psalms. Listen to some of these. Psalm 10, 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 22, the the psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. In fact, of the 150 Psalms, more than half of them are lament. David crying out to God. If you're in the midst of hardship and struggle, it's okay to cry out to God. He hears you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. Now there's this pattern that comes out in the Psalms that is so encouraging to me. It's like God always meets David in his distress. Listen to Psalm 56. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know God is on my side. Psalm 13 is the perfect example of something that we see throughout these psalms. As David cries out, after he cries out, he turns back to the Lord. Listen to verse 1 of Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Maybe you've been in those moments where you've been crying out to the Lord and saying, How long? When are you going to act? When are you going to do something? But verse 5 is the shift that we see all the time in the Psalms. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. See, in the midst... Of the hardships in the midst of fleeing and being in caves and fearing for his life. God was good to David. He's good with us. Throughout the scriptures, God is patient with our hurts and our pain. And he just gently points us back to his promises. And that's what he did here with Moses. The Lord said, Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. He doesn't answer the questions. But he says, not only am I going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, I'm going to do it through Pharaoh, the very same guy that you're afraid of, the very same guy that's making things harder for you. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. There's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. See, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God as the covenant maker. The one who had given them the promise. But Moses was going to know God as the covenant keeper. The covenant who brought them to the promised land. And then God is going to make four promises through seven I will statements. Telling Moses exactly what he is going to do. And he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. So that first one is I'm going to set you free. Secondly, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, redemption. Third, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Adoption. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand and give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. Inheritance. He says, I'll bring you out of slavery. I'll redeem you. I'll take you as my own people. And I will bring you to the promised land. Now God's answer to Moses, he doesn't say, Okay, this is why I'm allowing all these things to happen. He says, this is who I am, and this is what I will do. I'm greater than Pharaoh. You don't have to fear him. I'm the Lord. I've heard the Israelites, and I'm going to act on my covenant. I will set them free. I will redeem them. I will take them as my people. I will fulfill my promise and bring them to the promised land. Now, you can imagine as Moses, hopefully, when he hears this, he goes, awesome. (laughs) That's exciting, Lord. I'm going to go tell the Israelites, wait till they hear this. Not only are you going to stop what's going on, you're going to free them and bring them to the promised land as your people. Now, don't read ahead. (laughs) Imagine you're Israelite been living in Egypt for 400 years. We don't know how long of those 400 years now you've been a slave. And things have gotten worse and worse and worse. Here comes this guy. And he says, God's going to do all this stuff. What would you say? Well, we're going to hear what they say. Moses reported this to Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of the discouragement and harsh labor. They didn't listen to Moses and therefore doubted God. Why? Well, they were discouraged. They were rightfully afraid of Pharaoh. They were worried that things just got worse. We didn't think they could get worse, but they just got worse. What if they get worse than even this? They were tired from all the harsh labor. They were hurting from being beaten for not meeting their quota. And I think sometimes we can get to that place so discouraged that we lose faith in God, so discouraged that we don't pray. We just try to hone in on our struggle and try to fix it ourselves and leave God out of the equation. Maybe even your. Here today, or watching online and you feel like God has abandoned you. There have been times in my life where I did not listen to God because of my discouragement and harsh labor. But just because things are hard, that doesn't mean that God is going to change his calling on your life. God could have said, all right, Moses, I hear you. That's hard. I'm going to send somebody else. But listen to God's answer. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites out of the country. I already told you what to do. The fact that the Israelites rejected it, the fact that the Israelites don't accept it, doesn't change my call on your life. Go tell Pharaoh. <laughs> but Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? <laughs> In other words, if, if, they don't listen, if my own people don't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? That's a, that's a good question. Except it's not. He left something really important out of the equation. God. He says, look, I have faltering lips. He goes back to his insecurity. It's my fault. I'm not a good speaker, Lord. I already told you that. Before you called me, I told you you should call someone else because I'm not a good speaker, Lord. But that's what God called him to do doesn't matter what the Israelites say. doesn't matter what Pharaoh says. I am going to work my plan. Now let's rewind. The next verse, it goes into a genealogy. And really, as you read that, you might be like, why is that there? Well, it points to God's covenantal faithfulness from Abraham to Moses. And next week, we're going to go into the confrontations with Pharaoh and all the plagues and see how God worked this out. But I want to rewind a little bit. Think back to last week. God told Moses to go four times. Go, 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 go. Moses responded with four excuses. Who am I? Who are you? I'm not a good enough speaker. And eventually Moses said, look, just please send someone else. And God in his patience gave Moses Aaron. He said, I'm going to give you your brother to do this task with you so you're not alone and at the end of that chapter they they went to the israelites and they told them what god said and the israelites all praised and they rejoiced and they worshiped yahweh because god was going to deliver them so far so good then they go to pharaoh not good the workload was increased they're treated harsher than before The Israelites blamed Moses, Moses blamed God, and God was patient. And he simply pointed Moses back to his promises. He said, this is what my plan is. Trust me. Trust me. So at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you two questions. Where do you turn when life is hard? Now, it's easy to turn to distractions Sometimes when life is hard, we just try to fill our life with as much stuff as we can. Distract ourselves from the pain. If I don't have to think about it, then I don't have to live through it. Or we can turn to addictions or relationships or unhealthy patterns of living. Or maybe you just think, if I try harder, if I work harder, then I can solve it myself. But you found that hasn't been working. So what if you changed one word? Said, of, where do you turn when life is hard? He said, where can you turn when life is hard? What did God do when Moses brought him his doubts, his fears, and his questions? He simply pointed back to his promises. He said, I am the Lord, and I will deliver Israel. I already told you this. We've gone over this, Moses. It's still true today. Now, what I found that was amazing, as we looked through these seven I will statements in verses 6 to 8, God made four promises, and in those four promises, we see the depth of theology that we see through all the scriptures. As as Ryan pointed out, the the Old Testament is full of God and who He is. And first in verse 6, we see liberation. That I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will set you free from being slaves to them. And then we see redemption. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then we see adoption. I will make you as my own people, and I will be your God. And the last thing we see an in inheritance, I will bring you to the promised land. But those four promises, liberation, redemption, adoption, and inheritance, were not only made to the Israelites, they were made to us too. In John 8, Jesus was teaching and said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. See, Jesus promises freedom. All of us at one time were slaves to sin. And if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's where you're at. Because there's no way to get to God on our own. We just had VBS this week. And when I was uh, a youth pastor... I love doing the sermon illustration and one of our VBS, we did it and we, we invited a kid from each grade. We had a volunteer from each grade, come up on the stage, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, all the way up. And then we told the kids, we said, Hey, who do you think of all your, of all the leaders can jump the furthest? And so they all, all the kids who have their, you know, they pick their, their person, even though the person might not be able to jump very far at all because it's their person. So their favorite, but We got two people that could jump really far. And we we had the kindergartners go first, jump as far as you can. And, you know, maybe they make it two feet. And then the the first graders make it a a little bit longer. And by the time you get to the leaders, they make it like seven feet. And you're like, wow. Look at the difference between a kindergartner and a, an a adult. See how far they could drive. And then I walked, you know, the furthest long jump in the history of long jumps was just was 29 feet and like four inches, something like that. And so I walked all the 29 feet to show them how big that was. And everybody went, oh, that's, that's amazing, right? See how far this person can jump. And then I said, okay, now, what if we took all of you and had you go to the Grand Canyon? and told you to jump over the Grand Canyon. Now, just so you know, the closest place in the Grand Canyon is 6,000 feet across. The biggest place is 18 miles across. So if we lined up all those kids and we said, what we want you to do is to jump over the Grand Canyon, they'd be scared. And that little kindergartner would barely make it past the edge and... He would fall to his death. And all of them would fall. The one that jumped 30 feet would jump much further. And everybody would go, wow, he's a way better jumper than the kindergartner. But at the end, they would all experience the same thing. Death. And the reality is, God is so different from us, so other. Heaven is so distant. There is no way for us to jump across the gap that's created by our sin. We cannot Get to heaven on good deeds. And our culture teaches that, well, I'm a good person. And we compare it to the other people that are jumping across. Say, Those other people, those bad people, you know, they only made it three feet. Hitler didn't even make it. He just fell off. We compare ourselves to people that we think are bad. And we say, I'm a good person in comparison to those others. But the reality is we have no way to get to heaven based on our good deeds because the chasm created by our sin is untravelable. I don't even think that's a real word, but that's what it is. It's this vast chasm. And so God had to come down to provide a way. And Jesus Christ died on the cross paying for our sins so that we could have eternal life. He was the bridge across the chasm that we could not cross. See, the problem with the Israelites is they didn't have faith that God was who he said he is. And the problem in our lives is that same problem. And until you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll never be able to cross that chasm. You will find yourself still stuck in slavery. You need to be freed. But God doesn't only promise liberation. He promises redemption, adoption, and inheritance. Those last three we see in Exodus 6 are also seen in Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, now this is crazy. God's timing isn't our time. Moses was hoping that he would go to Pharaoh say, let my people go. And and Pharaoh would go, okay, (laughs) go ahead. Here's some chariots, you know. Here's some dates for the for the drive. You know, we'll give you some some plies. You know, just go for it. No, God had His own timing. Mean, why? He He needed to show the Israelites who He really was. They could have easily in that time started going and saying, "Well, we and they do later. We had it better in Egypt." But God had to show His power to them and to the Egyptians. He had His time. Well, some 1,500 years later, the time came. For Jesus to come down this earth. It says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See that redemption, being purchased with a price. Adoption, being adopted into God's family. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father daddy so you're no longer a slave but god's child and since you are his child god has also made you an heir what's an heir someone that receives inheritance so you've been liberated set free from sin redeemed bought with a price adopted brought into god's family and given an inheritance but what kind of inheritance is that? Well, First Peter one says this: Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance. What kind of inheritance? That can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. God promise us, and promises us an inheritance in the midst of the struggle. He promises it to us. It says in verse 5, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, it may not feel like a little while, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's just a little bit, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the thick of it, It seems like it's this huge monumental thing, and it is, it is. Some of you have gone through very significant things in your life. But compared to eternity, it's just a moment. So why do we face these trials? He says in verse 7, "...these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire..." may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How you handle trials, how you handle struggles right now, when you turn them to the Lord, results in praise, glory, and honor. Verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. God gives us those things in the midst of trials. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have something to look forward to. Jesus has saved us, and we can be grateful. I love this illustration used by John Newton. Imagine a man who inherited a really large estate worth millions, and he had to go to New York City to get it. As he journeyed there, his carriage broke down, leaving him to walk the last mile. Can you imagine that man saying, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. Kicking and complaining and disgust when he only has a mile to go to receive millions. Christians, we only have a few miles left to go. Our inheritance awaits. And yet we get so caught up in the broken down carriage. So worried about our lives. So you were, if you're a believer, you were a slave to sin, and yet Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, to redeem you and adopt you into an inheritance. On the cross, Jesus stood in your place and faced judgment so that you can have eternal life. Now the amazing thing is that God is faithful to his promises. He was back then, and he is now. One of my favorite songs right now, it's been on a constant loop on my Spotify, on my playlist, I've been listening to almost every day, is a song called Firm Foundation, He Won't. It says this, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. He won't fail. He won't. See, the simplicity of that truth is so profound. God has been faithful from generation to generation to generation. And I've seen it in my life through the highs and the lows, the moments of complete joy and the moments of utter sorrow. God has been faithful. So why would he not be faithful now? And the answer is, he will be faithful. So if you're discouraged today, trust in God's promises. He won't fail you. He has not only promised liberation, redemption, adoption, and inheritance. He's made a lot of other promises in the Scripture. Now, now don't pull it out now, but later I have a card in the bulletin with promises from Scripture, and I encourage you to go back to read them, to to look up the verses, to see where those promises are. But what I want you to do, and we've done this a few times in my six years here, is I just want you to close your eyes and listen to these promises that the Lord has made. These are for believers. I created you carefully just the way I wanted you. You're precious in my sight, watched over you by day and by night. I died in your place so that you can have life and your sin has been nailed to the cross. You are forgiven and I have permanently adopted you into my family. I've made you a new creation and I'll instruct you in the way you should go. I'll walk with you through the darkest valley as I'm your help and your deliverer. I'll provide everything you need and my grace is sufficient for you. I'm always with you and I'll give you power to serve in my name. And one day I'll wipe every tear from your eyes And we will spend eternal life together. Those promises are for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He has made those promises for you. I encourage you to take that card, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere that you can look at it when you're discouraged. But if you're here today and you go, I've, i never put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've never committed my life to him. Or if you're watching online and you say, those promises aren't for me because I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never been adopted into his family. I want to tell you this, that Jesus is inviting you. He says, come to me all who are weary and broken. Weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Last week we looked at how Jesus is the great I am. How if you're struggling in the darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you're unsatisfied with life, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you're searching for truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're feeling disconnected from God, Jesus said, I am the vine. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you're worried about death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. See, today Jesus is inviting you. He offers you freedom from the shackles of sin, redemption, adoption into a permanent family, the family of God, and an eternal inheritance. Don't leave today without making that decision to choose to follow Jesus. I'll be down here at the end of the service. I would love to to pray with you. For those of us that are believers that know those promises, just remember one thing he's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good and gracious with us. Lord, so often we're like Moses in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain. We cry out to you because we don't see how you could use it, how you could work through it. We don't See your activity. It feels like you've abandoned us. And yet in the midst of it, you're working all things together for your good and for our good. And when we can't see that, Lord, help us to turn back on your promises, to know that you love us, that you care for us, and that you're with us, that we can lean on you. We don't serve a God who is distant, but one who entered in this world and experienced the same suffering we experienced. Loss, betrayal, hunger, persecution, and ultimately even death, so that we could have life. So we thank you for that truth today. Lord, help us to walk in it. In your name we pray. Amen.